1: Welcome in to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley. Glad to have you along here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management. And for the next hour, that's what we'll be talking about managing your wealth and how you grow it, how you arrive at financial independence. And you can set up a free consultation with Josh and his team at Aptus by calling their office, 614 917 1040. 614 917 1040 is their number. They're located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750, a little north of 23. And 270, you can also set that free consultation up online, aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Set it up online, and while you're there, subscribe to Josh's YouTube channel, which we'll be talking about more as the show progresses. Josh, welcome in. We always start the show by talking about kind of current conditions out there in the financial world. I saw a headline that Google is laying off 12,000 people, so concerns about labor force, concerns about, you know, the economy, a big company like Google, if they're laying off 12,000 people, they're cutting costs, obviously. And then we've got this conversation in Washington about raising the debt ceiling. And, you know, what? to me, the raising of interest rates with the Federal Reserve means that we owe $31 trillion plus in national debt. The government has to pay whatever the interest rate is on national debt, so... Is there a concern with this debt ceiling thing? And I don't want to be a doomsayer, but there are those who think that that might mean that something will happen to the dollar as the world's reserve currency. So I put a lot on the table there. Let's talk about what does it mean that the dollar is the world's reserve currency and how important is that?
0: Well, if you look around the world, we all have different currencies and some of those currencies are more stable than others. So. You know, if you look at the U.S. dollar, although we see it fluctuating quite a bit relative to other countries, it really doesn't fluctuate that much. So think of a country like Zimbabwe, where I don't want to be dramatic, but there were times in history where you could almost go buy an apple. You go pick it up in the produce section. By the time you get to the front desk, it's a different price because inflation's going so fast. Wow! So the the concept of a reserve currency is if we're doing, um, if we're buying and selling things across, uh, you know, country lines. Mm-hmm. And we want to make sure that we're not paying one price for something. And by the time we actually get it, it costs us something else because of this currency exchange that we just transact everything in U.S. dollars. So your currency risk is kind of on you and my currency risk is on me based upon what our currencies look like versus the U.S. dollar. So we the U.S. dollar is, in fact, the reserve currency, which adds even more stability to the U.S. dollar because it's the most widely used currency in the world.
1: Okay, so. How, approximately, how long has that been the case? Has that been the case, like, through years in my lifetime, or is that something that shifts every 10, 15, 20 years?
0: You know, I can't recall exactly when that occurred, but I can't think of a time in my lifetime, or at least in the time that I've been paying attention, that it's been anything but the U.S. dollar.
1: Okay. Would it be catastrophic what would happen to our economy if the dollar wasn't the world's reserve currency, and is that a risk with this debt ceiling fight and you hear, oh, if we don't raise the debt ceiling, the U.S. will default on its debt. Well, nobody knows
0: what the ultimate outcome would be. I'm sure economists have theories, but nobody really knows what would happen if we did not, if we were not the U.S. or the, uh, the world reserve currency. Mm-hmm. However, uh, I would suggest that it certainly wouldn't be a good thing. If you look at other currencies around the world, uh, it does give us a certain amount of control and a certain amount of freedom to transact. Uh, a little bit easier than other countries. So there is there's there is value in that. Now, are we at risk of losing it? I think we're always at risk of losing it. If, if we start really meddling with our dollar or the value of our dollar and, and the world views it as an unstable currency and they view another currency as better, there's always the potential for that to change. But I can tell you this. In the time that I've been in the financial world, so think back to the late 90s, mm-hmm. I have heard that we are going to lose our status as the US reserve or as the world reserve currency ever since I started in finance. So this isn't a new conversation. Sometimes it gets a little bit more, you know, gets a little more fuel on the fire. And I think anytime we talk about an increase in the debt ceiling, it kind of comes to the forefront of the conversation. Now, whether or not that becomes true or not, I, I have no idea, uh, but it would be a, a detrimental thing to say the least.
1: So this is a good time for people to at least be concerned about volatility out there, whether it's debt ceiling related or whether it's inflation related, recession. We hear a lot about that, and given all those concerns, that's why Josh and his team at Aptus make available to you a free consultation, so you can get some of your questions answered. It's easy to do some of that here on the show, but you all have personal questions that apply to your own personal situation. Set up that consultation at six one four. or by going online and setting it up, aptuswealth.com, dot com, and Josh does serve some clients uh, via, you know, digital Zoom-type hookups, so you don't have to be located here physically in the Columbus area to be a client of Aptus Wealth Management. Okay, so there's always this thought that, you know, I don't want my money to just poof, vanish overnight, and... A lot of the headlines kind of, I think, drive histrionic reactions. And so whenever these kinds of rumors are out there and these kind of fears are out there, there's this thought that you need your money in something that's safe and something that's stable. And I wonder how many of your clients uh, cling to what has over time become this recognized, perceived stability of having their money in gold. What do you hear from them and how would you respond to an inquiry about gold or precious metals? Yeah, the narrative really doesn't change about why everybody should be
0: terrified. You know, I've, I've gone, I've seen a bunch of different kind of evolutions of this, but they're all centered around the fact that our debt ceiling continues to get raised. I don't even know why we have such, uh, you know, diligent meetings about it, because you and I both know it's not a matter of if it'll get raised it's to what number yeah, it's sure. going to get raised. It's always- Absolutely. So the fear is, you know, we have a debt service obligation, meaning that if we have debt, much like if you had a credit card, you have to make at least a minimum payment on the debt. And as the rate goes up, that minimum payment goes higher and higher. And at some point, the fear is that just servicing our debt will require more money than we take in as a country. Yeah. And there is a threshold for how much you can tax people. And if you tax them to death, well, then our economy starts going the other direction. And all of a sudden it turns into a house of cards and falls down. So. The belief there is, uh, how do we thwart that? And I remember, maybe it was, I might be off of my timeline, but five or ten years ago, there was some talk of the Amero, like the Euro, right? Okay, we were going to shift really? from the U.S. dollar to something called the Amero. And there's been a bunch of iterations of this over time. But one that always seems to rise to the top is, should I put all my money in gold? And while gold can be a great option, particularly in terms uh, in, in instances of short-term you know, uncertainty, Shy of cash, gold has been the single worst investment over the last 50, 60, 100 years uh, that you could have possibly put your money into. Shy of, I mean, a Ponzi scheme or something where you wow. lost all your money. So it really doesn't accelerate like everybody thinks. As a matter of fact, it barely keeps up with inflation. That said, in times like these, you'll start to see the quasi-scare tactic approach come and, you know... All your dollars are going to be worth nothing. If you're not in gold, you're going to be part of the collapse. And do I get calls like that? I got one today. I mean, it it happens. But my response to that would be is as good as that story that I just laid out sounds. Let's say you do have gold. What are you going to do with it? If this story that you believe total economic collapse, total meltdown of the United States, rioting in the streets, (laughs) no food, the dollar isn't worth anything. I don't know why I'm laughing, but yeah. yeah. yeah but but that's the story that people. That's the pay, the picture that people paint. Yes. What are you going to do with your gold coins? Are you going to? Do you believe that we're going to go back to the days that we're carrying a little velvet purse on our on our waistband, and then we're going to take out you know a couple shekels of silver, yeah. and or gold, and and pay for goods and services? Um, that's just it, that ship has sailed. The toothpaste yeah. is out of the tube on yeah. that one. So, again, if you're looking at gold for an investment perspective, then look at it pragmatically, not out of fear, but out of reality, and say, what percentage of what I have do I want to set aside in something that may or may not end up being a great inflation hedge?
1: Well, that's eye-opening because I think most people would think that, you know, certainly over the last 50 or 60 years, as you said, there will be times that, and there were, there were times that gold escalated, but over that time period, it's not been a great investment. Uh, I was looking up some numbers today because I heard a, comment on one of the national shows that i was listening to the amount of money that the federal government has to pay in interest on the national debt is approaching a point where it will be more than we spend on our defense budget and i think you know we'll occasionally hear oh i got this new fighter jet or this new whatever and they each cost x number of dollars to build and But to think that our interest payment for our government on debt is going to, as rivaled and may soon exceed the amount of money we spend on defense spending, I mean, like, wow, what kind of an economy could we have if we didn't have that kind of debt? That's crazy.
0: Yeah, it'd be remarkable, right? We'd be able to do innovation, all sorts of things, lower tax rates, allow people to spend that money towards the creation of their own companies and jobs, et cetera. And, you know, let's use another stat and that we spend more on defense spending than any other country in the world, as far as I know. Yeah. So our debt position, just our debt payments are arguably more than anyone in the world spends on their defense budget. And there is a tipping point now where that tipping point exists. I don't know, but I think we could all agree that it is it's a challenge that we're going to have to face and we're going to have to solve. And I, I don't know that we have. The political environment that it's going to get solved anytime soon
1: so set up your free consultation with josh and his team at aptis because uh we all have challenges when it comes to growing our wealth and debt can be one of your particular challenges doesn't mean that you shouldn't meet with someone and find a strategy to eradicate that debt also tax wise uh aptis is very schooled at helping you understand tax strategies and josh you've talked about before uh the way people uh, have their assets distributed can make a big difference in how much tax they are on the hook to pay to the government. I mean, the government gets its revenue from taxes, but that doesn't mean that you know because we have an astronomical debt, you ought to pay more taxes than you absolutely have to.
0: Yeah, I think it's everybody's responsibility to keep the government as honest as possible by sending them as little money as possible, so <laughs> they stay with they they tighten their purse strings and do what they're supposed to do. You know, if you truly believe that all these things are going to happen, that our debt position is going to get to a point where the government's going to have to raise taxes or the government's going to print more money, which will in turn create more inflation. Then I think now as many times as, as much as ever, probably more than ever, you should be focused on what is an efficient tax strategy and how should I be invested to take advantage of this rising inflation, rising interest rate environment and. You know, As far as how you allocate your assets, typically when clients come in, I ask them what their strategy is going to be when they retire. and Maybe they have a 401k and a Roth IRA, and then they have a savings account. And they might have a couple other categories, and they go, well, they almost arbitrarily think I'm going to use this bucket until it's empty, and then I'm going to move on to this one, and then I'm going to move on to this one. Or they say, I'm going to spend my 401k because that's my retirement money, so that's what I'm going to spend. When in reality... What might make more sense is taking a little bit from each one of those categories, kind of in a secret sauce mix, if you will, that keeps them in a certain tax bracket. Because if you have the ability to pay 12% in taxes, as opposed to 22% in taxes, that is a 10% difference. And that is, I think taxes saved are no different than interest earned. So the strategy on not just how do I make money, but how do I preserve that through the limiting of taxation is just as important.
1: Aptus Wealth Management is located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750, and that's not far from 270 70 and 23. You can set up your consultation by calling their office, 614-917-1040, or you can set up your appointment online at Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. When you're on the site, you'll see the YouTube logo. Click on that, and you will subscribe to Josh's YouTube channel, where he posts videos about some of these concepts that we discuss and that way you can share it with a friend, you can rewatch it, you can take notes, you can stop it, pause it. It's a great way for you to learn more because these are important concepts to understand. And that's what my wife and I uh, gained from going in and meeting with Josh and becoming clients was a real understanding about how uh, our money could be managed so that we could arrive at financial independence and not have a lot of the concerns that we had when we were managing the money ourselves. So what we hear a lot about now is inflation and inflation eating away at savings because if costs are going up. Your money doesn't go as far as it used to go. And there's a lot of effort made by the Fed to raise interest rates to bring inflation down. Besides, you know, the fact that we know that hamburger and eggs and cars and everything cost more, what else does inflation do as it concerns things that you are keeping your eye on in an effort to get your clients into that financially independent position later on?
0: Well, you know, the Fed raises interest rates to try and hold back inflation or lower inflation, but that's not the Fed's only job. One of the other problems that causes inflation is the job market. Okay, And there's no question that we have a labor shortage. We hear about it all the time. Although, you know, people are working more now than they were during COVID times. We still have an extreme labor shortage and we see it in the amount of wages that we have to pay everywhere. I mean, if you drive around Columbus, you'll see signs for, you know, working what most people would think would be jobs that predominantly, you know, high school kids would Mm -hmm. work paying 17, 18 bucks an hour. I was in North Carolina this week uh, visiting some clients and I was talking to a woman that has a bunch of Dippin' Dots franchises. Okay. And I asked her how the labor shortages affected her business. And she said that she cannot get in her particular area of North Carolina, There is such a labor shortage that she cannot get people to work at Dippin' Dots for less than $20 an hour. Wow. Now, what kind of strain does that put on the profit margins of her particular franchises? And in this case, she had six of them. I would think that'd be
1: pretty significant. That raises
0: her costs. And what companies end up doing when times are still good and interest rates are low, that means that they can afford to borrow money to continue to create new projects. So Mm -hmm. think of... Nationwide Financial or any of these companies that are here around town, we have a job to do. We don't want to lose these well-qualified people, but we really don't even have a lot for them to do. But when we do, we're going to want them. Mm -hmm. So we'll keep them on the books because we're still profitable. Well, if interest rates start climbing and climbing and climbing, well, maybe our debt position or our debt service starts climbing to the point where we have to lay people off. Well, when we lay people off, it injects people back into the job market. So other companies that desperately need the workers that aren't just holding on to them. Have a pool of candidates to draw from. I know that sounds kind of like we want to stall the economy so that we can help out other companies. But it is an economic theory that I read about just the other day. I I don't personally believe that that is a good approach. However, it is an approach to try and get people back into the labor force for the companies that need them.
1: Well, uh, boy, it's. That is uh, kind of eye-opening to me that interest rates can play into the job market. I mean, I guess I, I I I thought about it in terms of when interest rates are low. I know that you know they say money's cheap, and companies borrow it because in the in the case of the housing market, if a big conglomerate company can borrow money at essentially like one or two percent, and they can buy an asset like a house that they can resell, they know down the road and make uh, you know a significant gain on it. It's almost fiscally irresponsible for them to not try to be as profitable as they can be as a company. But I hadn't thought about the impact on everyday Americans, people in the workforce, in terms of what might happen if interest rates continue to go up. And we have an effort by the Fed to continue to raise those interest rates and, and get inflation under control. Yeah. And
0: another analogy, or another metaphor for that would be, let's say that we're, we're thinking about starting this new division, but our profit margins on the widgets that we're selling are eight percent. That doesn't leave a lot of cushion for increase in wages. Mm-hmm. And let's say that when we borrow money we're paying now, we're paying nine percent to borrow money to end up funding that division, it becomes much more challenging. So raising and lowering interest rates has a systemic impact, costs of goods of things you buy, houses, cars, companies' ability to expand, labor force. It really is the one moving part that affects all the pieces.
1: Would this all correct itself if we didn't, I don't know if artificially mess with it is the right term, but if if the Fed just sat and did nothing, would these things correct themselves in time? I assume the belief is it would take longer and it'd be more painful, and so the Fed acts to try to get it under control, or we hear we have a free market. It's really not a free market if there's another entity out there that's moving things around to try to generate certain responses. Yeah, there's, two, there's kind of two camps on that,
0: um, and I land somewhere in the middle. But on one hand, you'll hear plenty of pundits on the, on the radio, on television, economists saying that you have to let things fail. You heard this a lot mm-hmm. back during 08-09, let the banks fail, don't bail them out, let them fail. And the good banks will rise to the top. The bad ones will wash out and everything will be, you know, fine in the long run. I'd rather take tough medicine today than have to take a pill forever for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. The other camp says, well, if you completely cripple the economy, have you crippled it to the point where it can't come back? You know, did you break the legs on your best runner so bad Mm -hmm. that, you know, they can't even walk anymore? And, you know, that is that concept of a soft landing. You need to come into a soft landing. And I think, you know, the answer ends up being somewhere in the middle. With certain instances, we got to have a little bit of tough love. And with others, we know that it would be a terrible idea to do that. But the problem with all government is that you're always going to have some, you know, pork barrel spending Mm -hmm. involved in some of that. A lot of waste. It's not efficiently tracked. We're seeing that with what happened with the PPP loans where, you know, people were getting PPP loans and just going and buying Ferraris, even though they weren't laying off employees and they had the best year of their lives. And there's still some of that left in the system. There's still some powder left in the, in the barrel for that, where you're seeing more loans coming out that people didn't take back during the PPP loans. So, you know, idealistically, I think we would all like to have a smooth running economy. And we're not the only country in the world that has a Fed. Almost all major developed countries have some version of a Fed of their own for this exact reason. But ultimately, you know, it ends up being a little bit more than necessary. And I, I wonder if it's more detrimental than helpful sometimes.
1: Uh, Speaking of help, you can get it with a free consultation at Aptus Wealth Management, 614-917-1040. That's how you set up your appointment with Josh and his team. And you can also set that appointment up online at AptusWealth, A-P-T-U-S, AptusWealth.com. Listen to Josh and me on the Bruce Hooley Show, 1230 every Monday. This show will replay tomorrow at noon. If you have friends who you uh, think would be interested in the content, we'd appreciate it if you would let them know about the replays Saturday At noon. So what the Fed's trying to do is get market volatility under control. They're trying to, like, restore order, so to speak. And you'll hear people now, and I've told you the story of a guy I happened upon at a football game this fall who said that he was down, you know, $250,000 in his retirement account. Well, I get that on paper he's down from what another paper in his file from three months, six months, two years earlier told him. But how do you respond to people who would say, I'm down, when they haven't cashed in the asset yet, and the loss is, quote unquote, a paper loss? Is it a real loss if it is a loss only on your quarterly statement that you've gotten, but you still hold that asset in that bucket, if you will?
0: Well, I think the concept of paper loss is almost offensive, right? I mean, oh, it's just a paper loss, well. <laughs> Clearly, I could have cashed it in three months ago and had X amount of dollars. And if I cash it in today, I have less. So it is my actual dollars reported on paper, but it is actual dollars. Mm. Now, that said, in my office, we talk about something which I, I like to call perceived risk versus actual risk. I think that we view that as, well, that's because I'm being too risky or I have a risk of losing all my money. And I think inherently our brains are wired with that fight or flight type of thing where we go, well. While everything's gaining, I get really greedy and go, man, in just a matter of minutes, I'm going to be a bazillionaire if it keeps on growing like this. I I think we would all admit that we've all you know, think of a couple of years ago after covid went, you know, was over Mm -hmm. and the market starts shooting up like a rocket ship. And even though, you know, it is not sustainable, it is hard not to say, well, if things continue like this, I will get to retire five or six years earlier. On the flip side, when you lose money, you immediately start drifting into, if it keeps going like this, I'll be out of money mm. by a certain amount of time, when the reality is you would be hard-pressed to find any time in history where either one of those two things happen. So there is a perceived risk of losing all of my money. The real risk, however, is either doing something foolish and pulling all your money out at the wrong time and then trying to buy back in when things are high, or the real risk is having too much market volatility once you actually retire. so we're talking about paper losses. They are arguably paper losses while you're accumulating your money. But now let's fast forward and say, now I actually need that money to retire on. Because the goal of retirement planning isn't to just be able to run around and go, look at my net worth. The goal is to actually generate income to sustain the rest of your life when you no longer want to work, or whatever the goal is. And the risk there is very real market volatility there can have a dramatic impact and that points towards something called sequence of returns and sequence of returns I think is the single biggest killer which hopefully we'll get a, you know some more time to chat about uh, but you have to be very very cautious about the real risk of volatility once you retire
1: yeah we will talk about sequence of returns and it's interesting you talk about that people think of they do get this dire scenario of their money being all gone or jumping in value because things are going to continue as they are. That's the case, like if you're in Vegas and you've got all your money on red and it comes up black, but that's if you have an asset that hopefully you've put some thought into buying it and why you're buying it, that shouldn't be the case with your investments. And that's what they specialize in, making those purposeful decisions, planning the retirement blueprint, Aptus Wealth, 614-917-1040. Thanks for joining us on the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley, here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management, and we will be talking about managing your money, and that's what they specialize in. At Aptus. they're located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750, and a great way for you to get the questions answered that you might have in a time of market volatility, uncertainty, inflation, will there be a recession, how deep will it be, will it be a soft landing engineered by the Fed, You hear these things all the time in the news, and you may not know what they mean to you. A great way to find out what they mean to you as it concerns the most important thing, what happens to the money that you have saved, and hopefully you have saved, well, they can help you with that at Aptus Wealth Management. Set up a free consultation with them at 614-917-1040, or you can set up your free consultation online. Their website is aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. While you're on the website be a great time to subscribe to Josh's YouTube channel, the YouTube logo right there. Subscribing to the channel will give you a notification every time he posts new content, and that content is distilled down in small doses, so you can stop it, pause it, take notes, share it with friends, learn more about how to manage your money. Okay, Josh, so let's talk about somebody who has saved for retirement, and they have, uh, you know, uh, the decision... How do I take my money out? How much do I take out? When do I take it out? Uh, How does somebody come to that decision? Because we just had, I think, with the SECURE Act, a change in when you have to start taking your money out.
0: Yeah, yeah, part of the SECURE 2.0 Act uh, was kicking the can on minimum required distribution. So rewind the clock back to pre-2020, pre-2020 prior to the SECURE Act 1.0. Um, you had until 70 and a half. So once you turn 70 and a half, you have been putting money into your retirement accounts for the most part and for most people on a pre-tax basis. Mm -hmm. So one of the benefits of those retirement accounts is you're putting money in before it gets taxed. Then it grows tax deferred. But then when you take the money out, you end up ultimately paying taxes on it. And, you know, the benefit of that is obviously you're getting compounding on money that you would have otherwise paid in taxes. So there is a huge benefit in doing that. But from the government's perspective, you know, well, when are we going to get our money? We just got done talking about uh, you know the deficit yeah. in uh, the last segment. So um, here we are looking at, you know, how, when do I get my money? And, you know, you used to have to start taking it in, at 70 and a half. And, and back then it was about 3.65-ish percent. It's a factor. So you have to take about 3.65 percent out. That percentage goes up every single year uh, with the intention of we want our tax dollars. Fast forward to the Secure Act 1.0, and that said, well, you can wait until you're 72 before you start taking out dollars. So I think the idea there was, uh, particularly as a result of COVID and the economic uncertainty, people might need to work longer. So we Mm -hmm. need to give them more time to continue to work before they draw out. And now fast forward to Secure Act 2.0, and you have until 73 with it escalating all the way up to the age of 75. Now, there, there's a lot of theories on why the government would do that, but ultimately I think it, it affords you options to do more, whether you retire prior to that or you want to continue to work. So I think it's a good thing
1: for everybody. Okay, so uh, I'm nearing uh, retirement age if I wanted to retire early or if I wanted to retire at what used to be typical retirement age. I don't have any plans to do that. Uh, I got a late start in life uh, having children. So I have kids. One's an eighth grader. Another one is in high school. I have one in college. So I plan to work for a while. And I guess I've always had it in my mind. And I like what I do. And it's not really arduous doing what I do. I've always had it in my mind, like the longer I can push off taking away from my retirement, taking out of my retirement accounts, the longer I can push that off, the better it is. Is that necessarily true? for someone like me well in general
0: yes obviously having more money is always a good thing however and we hear this you know sometimes again getting back to some of those scare tactics that people use as well you're creating a tax time bomb you'll hear that well you have to figure out a way to eliminate the tax time bomb now when you start hearing these type of you know scary terms it's usually to try and sell another product that somebody wants yeah but I think the concept is true, and the concept is this. The more that you have in deferred investments, the more that minimum required distribution is going to be. And if you're of the belief that the or the U.S. debt continues to climb, and at some point we're going to have to figure out a way to pay that off, that would mean that tax rates are going to have to go up. And if the amount of money that I have to draw out is growing and tax rates are going up, well, my tax problem is getting worse and worse and worse. So the, the real answer there, though, is, since you continue to work longer and longer, how can we save money in a way that both benefits us from a tax perspective today, but also puts us in a tax advantageous position tomorrow? And that's where it comes into the coupling of tax deferred versus taxable versus tax free investments.
1: Okay, so let's talk about that a little bit. And if you're interested in that, if my situation applies to you, uh, 614-917-1040 is their number at Aptus. Sit down, have a free consultation with Josh and his team, learn about Your personal situation, and everybody's situation is different, you can also set up your appointment online at AptusWealth, A-P-T-U-S, AptusWealth.com. So you have money in your retirement accounts, you got to start taking it out, you're taking distributions. I know you're very strategic. We In our consultation, we talked about tax planning, we talked about distributions, we talked about a lot of things. So am I right that distributions and what you take, where you take it, how much you take is is really the secret sauce to minimizing what the government's going to get and what you get to keep.
0: Yeah, I think the two overwhelming things about retirement income are, how do I minimize the amount of taxes that I have to pay? And then secondly, how do I minimize the impact of market volatility on those withdrawals? So number one is, how do I take money from different buckets to make sure that I maintain, think of it as kind of a a certain tax bracket, Mm -hmm. And why is that so important? Well, there's a a many, many reasons why it's important. But I think the easiest one to explain is how it impacts Social Security. So Social Security is kind of a weird animal in that if you're only living off of Social Security, you're not taxed at all on your Social Security payments. However, as you start adding outside income to that Social Security, so think my Social Security is $30,000 a year and I'm only living on that, no taxes. Now my social security is $30,000 a year, but I'm pulling in another $40,000 a year from my IRA account. Mm-hmm. Well, not only do I have to pay taxes on the $40,000 worth of social uh, worth of my IRA distribution, but that outside income actually, re, uh, actually ends up creating an environment for my social security where I have to start paying taxes on some of that. So I went from 30,000 tax free to in this scenario, eighty or seventy thousand dollars gross, but I end up having to pay taxes maybe on
1: sixty thousand yeah. dollars rather than just forty. That stinks. That feels like you know the, the phrase "double dipping." It feels like the government's they already got me once when they were taking my social security. I didn't have access to it. I'm going to get it later, and now they're going to tax me on it.
0: Yeah, it it, it brings back uh, my grandfather saying, "Man, they get you coming and going, mm-hmm. don't they?" Right. So the the way that you conquer that is how do I set up my life where maybe, and let's just think of a very easy scenario, maybe it makes more sense for me to take different distributions in different years. Maybe it makes sense for me to take distributions from different places. For example, let's take that same scenario. And now rather than the $40,000 coming from my IRA, it's $40,000 coming from my checking account. Well, now I'm living on $70,000 with no taxes whatsoever. A completely different scenario. That's true. Same amount of withdrawal. Yeah. And, you know, some people are probably listening and going, yeah, but I don't have $40,000 in my savings account, so that doesn't work. And you're absolutely right, but but the concept remains the same. So how do we do different things? And I'll give you another example. Uh, this seems to happen at least once a year. I'll have a client come in and say, I want to buy a boat. It's always a boat. I don't know what it is about boats, but it's always a boat. I went to the, to the boat and RV show, got a great deal. I bought this boat and I hate debt, so I paid cash. Well, maybe, just maybe, That $75,000 boat you bought, maybe it would have been more advantageous to, in December, give the guy that you're buying the boat off of half the money, and then give him the other half in January, so they're on two different tax bills, right? Maybe. Yeah. Then you still have no debt, you satisfied everything you want to do, you're not doing a lot of boating in December in Ohio anyway, so it really doesn't matter. But that could really move the needle a tremendous amount, but you have to put conscious thought into it.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting, like... We are past the era where Social Security is going to be your retirement. We are past the era where you work for one company for 40 years and there's a pension there and you live off that. Most people now have multiple jobs in their professional life. They have multiple retirement accounts. Uh, Maybe I'm just putting my situation onto everyone else. But this whole sequence of returns thing is... Really interesting to me because, like, what you talked about, drawing it out and then it's taxed. But if you put your money in a Roth IRA, you've paid your taxes up front, correct? And you don't have to worry about paying taxes on the back end?
0: Or do I have that wrong? Uh, No, you're absolutely correct. So you pay the taxes up front. It still grows tax-deferred. But then any dollars you take out of it, pending that you have the money in that account for five years, is completely tax-free. So there's a holding period that you have to satisfy. Okay. but Easy math on that is the younger that you are, the more advantageous it would be to do a Roth because you get more tax-free growth out of it. And the older you are, in general, the less advantageous it is because maybe as we get older and older and older, we typically make more and more money as our careers advance. So maybe you're in the 35% tax bracket today. You might from getting the tax deferral on the dollars today than you would on the way it's going to be taxed later but when you're young and you're making, you know, you're in the 12% bracket because yeah. you're just getting started, you're better off paying 12% in taxes today than paying 22 later. And think of all the growth that you had in the middle. So, you know, there's this, this concept of, you know, planning, but you can also do Roth conversions. And there's a whole bunch of strategies that you can employ. And notice that none of these strategies that I'm talking about involve me mentioning anything about the investment that you're actually in. That's right. So this would apply if you're invested in a money market inside of your 401k or if you're invested in, you know, a global growth fund. It's just taxes. It's not actual investment strategy.
1: Yeah. And I can imagine, you know, for those of you out there listening, I hope you are awakened to the gravity of taking money out of the wrong place at the wrong time or just as in the scenario Josh outlined with the guy purchasing a boat, just delaying half of the payment by, you know, I mean, at the most extreme, by two days from December, you know, 30th to January the 1st, could save you a ton of money. And it's not like you're cheating the government. This is all legal and it's all just smart. And so are you equipped to know all this yourself? I mean, good for you if you are. I wasn't. That's why my wife and I sat with Josh for the free consultation. It's why we're apt as clients. It's why we have peace of mind about these kinds of things that, frankly, I didn't have the peace of mind with. Before. So you can set up a free consultation and find out if you want to proceed down that road. You can set it up by calling 614-917-1040, or you can set it up by doing it online. Their web address is aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Physically, they're located in Lewis Center, but they service a lot of their clients around the country by conferring with them remotely. So anything else on sequence of returns, scenarios that people might want to consider or think about or things that could step up and bite them if they're not really aware.
0: Yeah. So traditionally sequence of returns is actually referring to the returns that you receive on your investment. However, we kind of lump together, um, the impact of not just the returns that you receive, but where you draw the money from and as it relates to taxes. But the flip side of that is how is my money actually invested in those buckets and where am I drawing my income from can have a dramatic impact. So there's perceived risk and there's actual risk of the stock market. We all know that we don't like market volatility. It bounces all over the place. Let's say that I'm just for argument's sake invested in the S&P 500 in total, which would be foolish. But nevertheless, I have all my money in the S&P 500. And I mean, just look at what it's done over the last 10 or 20 years, right? In 0102, you lost about half your money. In 0809, you lost about half your money. During COVID, you lost about a third of your money really, really quickly. And then last year, you were down about 20% again. Now, it would be easy to look at a giant graph and say, yes, but over the last X amount of years with all those dips, it went up. So you'd go, what's my risk? Well, your risk becomes when you actually want to take money out of that investment. Mm -hmm. The sequence in which your returns affect your withdrawals can be dramatic. And there's a great piece on this that I use every time we do a a workshop or seminar, or I'm speaking to a a group of uh, kids in college, or even when people come to my office, That's essentially this. It is three people that all start with a million dollars and they get the same average rate of return over 25 years. So fast forward 25 years from now, they all look at their mutual fund statement and they go, we've all averaged 7% a year. Look at us. We now have over $5 million. But on the next page, it shows, yes, let's look at their returns, though. Client number one got a 22% rate of return the first year, a 15% rate of return the second year, a 12% rate of return the third, then negative four and negative seven. And those same five returns just repeat over and over again. 22, 15, 12, negative four, negative seven. And then the next client got the exact same returns flipped on their head. So negative seven, negative four, 12, 15, 22. And again, as long as they don't touch the money, they're great. They all end up with $5.4 million off their million bucks and they're good. And then client number three just got straight sevens, So I'm sure we'd all like to be client number three. Very predictable. Yeah, it'd be
1: easier to sleep at night.
0: Right. Now, the second page, though, gets a little bit more terrifying because we say, okay, now they all started with a million bucks. They're going to pull out $60,000 a year adjusted for inflation. And let's just see how the game is played. Client number one still has a million one left after 25 years. Client number two went broke and client number three has four thirty. And you go, well, how does that work? Well, if you think about it, it kind of it reminds me of that everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. Mike Tyson quote, right? Yeah. Well, client number one doesn't get punched in the face. They have a million bucks. They get a 22% rate of return. They're up to a million 220. They take out 60. Big deal. By the time they hit that negative four, negative seven, they're so high up in the millions, it doesn't matter. Client number two, however, well, that's the Mike Tyson example. They, they start million bucks, negative seven, right out of the gate, punched in the face. They're down to 930. They take out 60. They're at 870. And then the bleeding continues. So by the time they get to their 12, 15, 22% rates, it doesn't make that big of an no, impact. because they have less money, like less money less in money. their nest egg. So not only do we have to control the tax piece that we just talked about, but how do we control that piece? That's the real risk, not the perceived risk. The perceived risk is I don't like market volatility because I'm seeing these paper ups and downs, and it makes me nervous about having less money. The real risk is... How do I make sure that I can predictably generate the income that I require to achieve the goals that I want with all this bouncing around? And there are clear cut answers on how to handle that. But I assure you, the answer is not this. I have a million dollars in my 401k. I'm going to call the 401k company and go just proportionally take out $5,000 from all my investments and um, I'll be good. You may or may not be. You may be client number one. You may be client number two or client number three. But I assure you, you are rolling the dice. Yeah. Because who knows which one you're going to be? It all depends on this sequence of returns of when you retire.
1: And that's the advantage of having a professional and a fiduciary, someone like Josh. And a fiduciary means he is obligated by law to do what's best for his clients. That's the benefit of having somebody who's monitoring this, analyzing this, understands the risk, knows the possibilities. I mean, you can avoid danger by knowing what danger lurks out there. And the scenario he just described to me is one that, you know, I wouldn't have thought of. Everybody gets the same average return. I'm thinking, oh, everybody's okay, but definitely not in that scenario. So that's why uh, I'm an Aptus client. That's why it makes sense for you to sit for at least the free consultation, 614 917 1040, AptusWealth, aptuswealth.com. All right. So everybody's trying to get to a point where they're the client who, you know, is doing well at the end of their professional working time. And in an effort to do that, uh, most people that I know are looking for how can I better my situation professionally. We're in a situation now where the job market is um, looking for a lot of people, maybe not just at the low end of the job market and starting jobs, but in other jobs too. So is there a risk in people job hopping when it comes to saving for retirement? I'm sure you've had clients over the years who've changed jobs. And is there something that people need to know about that? Yeah, there's a lot of movement. And uh, fortunately for people who are,
0: you know, doing well and willing to work, uh, there's a lot of opportunity for increases in pay, but um, I'm sure you can relate to this as you hop between companies. What most people look at is what do the health benefits look like Mm -hmm. and what am I going to get paid? Yep. That's it. Unfortunately, there's other pieces of the puzzle that go towards retirement that play into that. For example, if you've only worked for your company for maybe a year that you're leaving, They may have had a very lucrative matching program on the 401k. Maybe they're matching dollar for dollar up to five or six or seven or 10%. But you don't actually get vested in that match until you've been there for maybe five years. So how much are you leaving on the table by leaving? You may be leaving $20,000 on the table to take a $10,000 raise. Now, it may still make sense, but you should at least be aware. The other thing that you may be leaving is you might be leaving in a scenario where you work for a company that's 401k has tremendous options, low fees. Maybe it has a fixed account that's paying a guaranteed five or six percent. You're a fixed investor and that looks great. And the new one doesn't just at least add that to the puzzle when you're starting to look into it. The other risk is and one that's kind of a new phenomenon, so much so that there's been a governmental program that's trying to solve this problem that came out with the secure 2.0 act. And that is people flat out forgetting that they have a 401k at the company they left. Mm. And, you know, I, I looked up a stat recently, and it was uh, under the Economic Growth and Tax Relief Reconciliation Act. That's a mouthful. That of, is a mouthful. Of 2001, companies can roll over forgotten accounts with balances between one and $5,000 into an IRA. So what does that mean? You leave a company. You forget that you had money in the 401k. Mm-hmm. It's 10 years later. The company goes, well, they haven't done anything. We've moved our 401k from Fidelity to... Uh, Wells Fargo, Mm -hmm. but this person doesn't even work here anymore. So let's just roll it into an IRA for them so they they can come get it when they want. Well, hopefully you remember that it's even there or you forgot about it. But what do they end up doing? They go, well, we can't uh, satisfy our fiduciary standard on whether or not this is invested right. So we'll put it in the money market. Now, here's the crazy stat. If the accounts that were between that value between 2001 and today would have stayed invested, over 40 years, the difference would be approximately $100 trillion oh. worth of gains that those clients are oh. giving up. Now, why is that a problem? Well, one, you're not meeting your retirement <laughs> yeah. goals, right? But yeah. two, if you've switched jobs six, seven, eight times, which is not uncommon, nope, your 401k from old job number one might have been transitioned between six or seven different companies, or God forbid your company went out of business. How are you even going to track it down? That's a huge problem. We call them orphaned accounts or kind of just forgotten, right? That's such a problem that you would think that there would be some sort of national database where you could just type in your date of birth, social security number, and go, hey, do I have any money out there? Doesn't exist. So in the Secure Act 2.0, they said, we better come up with one. But we all know how the government works. Oh, boy. You know, by the time we're both dead, they'll have one that kind of works. So my point in all of that is... When you leave a company, you typically have two choices, three choices. Sometimes you can leave it where it is and just leave it with the company, but you better keep track of it. Make Mm -hmm. sure you know that it's there. Option number two, usually you can roll that money into your new 401k, your new company. Mm -hmm. Maybe that makes sense for you, but you better do it. Option number three, roll it into an IRA and you can start to consolidate all of these old accounts into one spot. But the risk there, of course, is same risk as working with your own 401k. You got to pick. What you want to do. And with your 401ks, you might have 30 or 40 choices, maybe two, maybe five, but hopefully 30 or 40. When you go to an IRA, you have infinite choices, so it can become overwhelming, and now you're left to your own devices to possibly make mistakes. So I want to
1: ask a totally self-serving question. The first really good job I had, I had a pension. And then it, they said it was insolvent, so they ended it. We transitioned into IRAs or 401ks did we find that like did we find that when we were sitting down and talking like i'm just like sitting here going "Uh uh-oh you know i don't know off the top of my head we'll have to have a conversation offline about that but
0: but it's not uncommon it's not uncommon at all and the other thing you know where the national database would be really handy i'll give you another example on why it's so important that you keep either really if you're a do-it-yourselfer keep really good notes and create some sort of file that says you know if I'm not here anymore, in case of emergency, break glass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Here's all my yeah, stuff. Yeah. I had a client that um, was, ironically, a financial advisor. He managed half his money. I managed the other half. He, unfortunately, passed away in his sleep, which I guess is a good way to go yeah. of, of uh, we're guessing, heart complications. That said, he never told me where the other half of the money was. Oh, He was set up for electronic statements. Nobody knew his password for his computer. So he's got a half million bucks that we're just searching for somewhere. Never wrote it down. So I highly encourage. Now, if it all would have been with me, we would have known. Yeah. But I highly encourage you at least create a file or work with somebody.
1: Yes. Yes. Great advice, and that is really what you get at Aptus Wealth Management is great advice, and you will so much better understand this whole scenario of saving toward retirement and financial independence set up your free consultation 614-917-1040 you can do it online aptus wealth aptus com. josh and i will be back on money monday on the bruce Hooley show monday at 12 30 p.m and here next week josh thanks for your time you as well bruce Thanks.